This is Reformed Classics, audio productions of classic Reformed works. Today we're continuing our presentation of John Calvin's Institutes of the Christian Religion, translated by Henry Beveridge. Book 1, Chapter 16 The world created by God, still cherished and protected by Him, each and all of its parts governed by His providence. The divisions of this chapter are 1. The doctrine of the special providence of God over all the creatures, singly and collectively, as opposed to the dreams of the Epicureans about fortune and fortuitous causes. 2. The fiction of the sophists concerning the omnipotence of God and the error of philosophers as to a confused and equivocal government of the world. Section 1-5. through five, All animals but especially mankind, from the peculiar superintendence exercised over them, are proofs, evidences, and examples of the providence of God. Sections 6 and 7. 3. A consideration of fate, fortune, chance, contingence, and uncertain events, on which the matter here under discussion turns. Sections 1. Even the wicked... Under the guidance of carnal sense, acknowledge that God is the Creator. The godly acknowledge not this only, but that He is a most wise and powerful governor and preserver of all created objects. In so doing, they lean on the Word of God, some passages from which are produced. 2. Refutation of the Epicureans, who oppose fortune and fortuitous causes to divine providence, as taught in Scripture. The Son, a bright manifestation of divine providence. 3. Figment of the sophists as to an indolent providence refuted. Consideration of the omnipotence as combined with the providence of God. Double benefit resulting from a proper acknowledgement of the divine omnipotence. Cavils of infidelity. 4. A definition of providence refuting the erroneous dogmas of philosophers. Dreams of the Epicureans and Peripatetics. Section 1 It were cold and lifeless to represent God as a momentary creator who completed his work once for all and then left it. Here especially we must dissent from the profane and maintain that the presence of the divine power is conspicuous, not less in the perpetual condition of the world than in its first creation. For although even wicked men are forced by the mere view of the earth and sky to rise to the Creator, yet faith has a method of its own in assigning the whole praise of creation to God. To this effect is the passage of the Apostle already quoted, that by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, Hebrews 11.3. Because, without proceeding to his providence, we cannot understand the full force of what is meant by God being the Creator how much soever we may seem to comprehend it with our mind and confess it with our tongue. The carnal mind, when once it has perceived the power of God in the creation, stops there, and, at the farthest, thinks and ponders on nothing else than the wisdom, power, and goodness displayed by the author of such a work, matters which rise spontaneously and force themselves on the notice even of the unwilling or on some general agency on which the power of motion depends, exercised in preserving and governing it. In short, it imagines that all things are sufficiently sustained by the energy divinely infused into them at first, 
but faith must penetrate deeper. After learning that there is a Creator, it must forthwith infer that He is also a governor and preserver, and that not by producing a kind of general motion in the machine of the globe, as well as in each of its parts, but by a special providence sustaining, cherishing, superintending all the things which He has made, to the very minutest, even to His sparrow. Thus David, after briefly premising that the world was created by God, immediately descends to the continual course of providence. By the word of the Lord were the heavens framed, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. Immediately adding, The Lord looketh from heaven, he beholdeth the children of men. Psalm 33, 6, 13, etc. He subjoins other things to the same effect. For although all do not reason so accurately, Yet because it would not be credible that human affairs were superintended by God unless he were the maker of the world, and no one could seriously believe that he is its creator without feeling convinced that he takes care of his works, David, with good reason and in admirable order, leads us from the one to the other. In general, indeed, philosophers teach, and the human mind conceives, that all the parts of the world are invigorated by the secret inspiration of God. They do not, however, reach the height to which David rises, taking all the pious along with him, when he says, These wait all upon thee, that thou mayest give them their meat in due season, that thou givest them they gather, thou openest thine hand, they are filled with good, thou hidest thy face, they are troubled, thou takest away their breath, they die, and return to their dust. Thou sendest forth thy spirit, they are created, and thou renewest the face of the earth. Psalm 104, 27-30 Nay, though they subscribe to the sentiment of Paul, that in God we live and move and have our being, Acts 17, 28, yet they are far from having a serious apprehension of the grace which he commends, because they have not the least relish for that special care in which alone the paternal favor of God is discerned. Section 2. That this distinction may be the more manifest, we must consider that the providence of God, as taught in Scripture, is opposed to fortune and fortuitous causes. By an erroneous opinion prevailing in all ages, an opinion almost universally prevailing in our own day, that all things happen fortuitously, the true doctrine of providence has not only been obscured, but almost buried. If one falls among robbers or ravenous beasts, if a sudden gust of wind at sea causes shipwreck, if one is struck down by the fall of a house or a tree, if another, when wandering through desert paths, meets with deliverance, or, after being tossed by the waves, arrives in port and makes some wondrous hairbreadth escape from death, all these occurrences, prosperous as well as adverse, carnal sense will attribute to fortune. But whose has learned from the mouth of Christ that all the hairs of his head are numbered? Matthew 10.30 We'll look farther for the cause, and hold that all events whatsoever are governed by the secret counsel of God. With regard to inanimate objects, again we must hold that, though each is possessed of its peculiar properties, yet all of them exert their force only in so far as directed by the immediate hand of God. Hence they are merely instruments, into which God constantly infuses what energy he sees meet and turns and converts to any purpose at his pleasure. 
No created object makes a more wonderful or glorious display than the sun. For, besides illuminating the whole world with its brightness, how admirably does it foster and invigorate all animals by its heat and fertilize the earth by its rays, warming the seeds of grain in its lap and thereby calling forth the verdant blade. This it supports, increases, and strengthens with additional nurture till it rises into the stalk and still feeds it with perpetual moisture till it comes into flower and from flower to fruit, which it continues to ripen till it attains maturity. In like manner, by its warmth, trees and vines bud, and put forth first their leaves, then their blossom, then their fruit. And the Lord, that he might claim the entire glory of these things as his own, was pleased that light should exist, and that the earth should be replenished with all kinds of herbs and fruits before he made the sun. No pious man, therefore, will make the sun either the necessary or principal cause of those things which existed before the creation of the sun, but only the instrument which God employs, because he so pleases, though he can lay it aside and act equally well by himself. Again, when we read that at the prayer of Joshua the sun was stayed in its course, Joshua 10.13, that as a favor to Hezekiah its shadow receded ten degrees, Second Kings twenty. 11. By these miracles, God declared that the sun does not daily rise and set by a blind instinct of nature, but is governed by him in its course, and that he may renew the remembrance of his paternal favor toward us. Nothing is more natural than for spring in its turns to succeed winter, summer spring, and autumn summer. But in this series, the variations are so great and so unequal as to make it very apparent that every single year, month, and day is regulated by a new and special providence of God. Section 3 And truly God claims omnipotence to himself and would have us to acknowledge it, not the vain, indolent, slumbering omnipotence which sophists feign, but vigilant, efficacious, energetic, and ever-active, not an omnipotence which may only act as a general principle of confused motion, as in ordering a stream to keep within the channel once prescribed to it, but one which is intent on individual and special movements. God is deemed omnipotent, not because he can act, though he may cease or be idle, or because by a general instinct he continues the order of nature previously appointed, but because, governing heaven and earth by his providence, he so overrules all things that nothing happens without his counsel. For when it is said in the Psalms, he has done whatsoever he has pleased, Psalm 115.3, the thing meant is his sure and deliberate providence. It were insipid to interpret the psalmist's words in a philosophic fashion, to mean that God is the primary agent, because the beginning and cause of all motion. This rather is the solace of the faithful in their adversity, that everything which they endure is by the ordination and command of God that they are under his hand. But if the government of God thus extends to all his works, it is a childish cavil to confine it to natural influx. Those, moreover, who confine the providence of God within narrow limits, as if he allowed all things to be borne along freely according to a perpetual law of nature, do not more defraud God of his glory than themselves of a most useful doctrine. 
for nothing were more wretched than man if he were exposed to all possible movements of the sky, the air, the earth, and the water. We may add that by this view the singular goodness of God towards each individual is unbecomingly impaired. David exclaims in Psalm 8.3 that infants hanging at their mother's breasts are eloquent enough to celebrate the glory of God, because from the very moment of their births they find an ailment prepared for them by heavenly care. Indeed, if we do not shut our eyes and senses to the fact, we must see that some mothers have full provision for their infants, and others almost none, according as it is the pleasure of God to nourish one child more liberally and another more sparingly. Those who attribute due praise to the omnipotence of God thereby derive a double benefit. He to whom heaven and earth belong, and whose nod all creatures must obey, is fully able to reward the homage which they pay to him, and they can rest secure in the protection of him to whose control everything that could do them harm is subject, by whose authority Satan, with all his furies and engines, is curbed as with a bridle, and on whose will everything adverse to our safety depends. In this way, and in no other, can the immoderate and superstitious fears excited by the dangers to which we are exposed, be calmed or subdued. I say superstitious fears, for such they are. As often as the dangers threatened by any created objects inspire us with such terror, that we tremble as if they had in themselves a power to hurt us, or could hurt at random or by chance, or as if we had not in God a sufficient protection against them, For example, Jeremiah forbids the children of God to be dismayed at the signs of heaven, as the heathen are dismayed at them, Jeremiah 10.2. He does not, indeed, condemn every kind of fear, but as unbelievers transfer the government of the world from God to the stars, imagining that happiness or misery depends on their decrees or presages, and not on the divine will. The consequence is that their fear, which ought to have reference to him only, is diverted to stars and comets. Let him, therefore, who would beware of such unbelief, always bear in mind that there is no random power or agency or motion in the creatures who are so governed by the secret counsel of God that nothing happens but what he has knowingly and willingly decreed. Section 4 First, then, let the reader remember that the providence we mean is not one by which the Deity, sitting idly in heaven, looks on at what is taking place in the world, but one by which he, as it were, holds the helms and overrules all events. Hence his providence extends not less to the hand than to the eye. When Abraham said to his son, God will provide, Genesis 22.8, he meant not merely to assert that the future event was foreknown to God's, but to resign the management of an unknown business to the will of him whose province it is to bring perplexed and dubious matters to a happy result. Hence it appears that providence consists in action. What many talk of bare prescience is the merest trifling. Those do not err quite so grossly who attribute government to God, but still, as I have observed, a confused and promiscuous government which consists in giving an impulse and general movement to the machine of the globe and each of its parts, but does not specially direct the action of every creature. It is impossible, however, to tolerate this error, 
For according to its abettors, there is nothing in this providence which they call universal, to prevent all the creatures from being moved contingently, or to prevent man from turning himself in this direction or in that, according to the mere freedom of his own will. In this way is they make man a partner with God, God by his energy, impressing man with the movement by which he can act, agreeably to the nature conferred upon him while man voluntarily regulates his own actions. In short, their doctrine is that the world, the affairs of men, and men themselves are governed by the power, but not by the decree of God. I say nothing of the Epicureans, a pest with which the world has always been plagued, who dream of an inert and idle God, and others, not a wit sounder, who of old feigned that God rules the upper regions of the air, but leaves the inferior to fortune. Against such evident madness, even dumb creatures lift their voice. My intention now is to refute an opinion which has very generally obtained, an opinion which, while it concedes to God some blind and equivocal movement, withholds what is of principal moment, that is, the disposing and directing of everything to its proper end by incomprehensible wisdom. By withholding government, it makes God the ruler of the world in name only, not in reality. For what, I ask, is meant by government, if it be not to preside so as to regulate the destiny of that over which you preside? I do not, however, totally repudiate what is said of a universal providence, provided, on the other hand, it is conceded to me that the world is governed by God, not only because he maintains the order of nature appointed by him, but because he takes a special charge of every one of his works. It is true, indeed, that each species of created objects is moved by a secret instinct of nature, as if they obeyed the eternal command of God, and spontaneously followed the course which God at first appointed. And to this we may refer our Savior's words, that he and his Father have always been at work from the beginning. John 5.17 Also the words of Paul, that in him we live and move and have our being. Acts 17.28 Also the words of the author of the epistle to the Hebrews, who when wishing to prove the divinity of Christ says that he upholdeth all things by the word of his power. Hebrews 1.3 But some, under pretext of the general, hide and obscure this special providence, which is so surely and clearly taught in Scripture, that it is strange how any one can bring himself to doubt of it. And indeed those who interpose that disguise are themselves forced to modify their doctrine by adding that many things are done by the special care of God. This, however, they erroneously confine to particular acts. The thing to be proved, therefore, is that single events are so regulated by God and all events so proceed from his determinate counsel that nothing happens fortuitously. Mm-hmm.